Well, hey, I want to tell you something that's going to come up um, in a few weeks, October 20th. Um, we are going to have a special guest. His name is Ross King. And uh, Ross is a uh, worship leader, a recording artist, um, just a, he's a great guy. In fact, back in the 90s, um, Ross and I actually spent a weekend together at a retreat, and I got to know him and his wife a little bit, and um, man, just have always appreciated Ross. Ross used to be part of the, the early days of Breakaway uh, Ministry down at Texas A&M, and uh, that is flourishing and growing, and so he was the beginning days there. And Ross is just, uh, in my views, he's just a stud, and he's a real deal. And so he's coming October 20th. He's going to be part of uh, our conversation series uh, that we have periodically. And, and Ross is going to come. He's going to sing his music and, and do songs and, and, and lead us in worship that morning. He has a new album out called Things I'm Afraid Of. Um, did I get that right, John? Okay, and uh, that song that the, the album's titled after, uh, I love. Uh, it's a great song. You can go on YouTube or Apple Music, whatever, and find that. Uh, but he's going to come. We're going to talk about uh, depression, um, how that impacts us. Uh, we're talking about worship. Uh, we're talking about uh, grief. Uh, there's going to be a, a lot of things that kind of come out that morning in our conversation, you will be blessed uh, by it, uh, by his leading us in, in, in music and the conversation that we will have that morning as well with, with him. And so just wanted to highlight that. It's coming up in a few weeks, but it'd be a great, great morning for, for you to make sure you're in attendance, but also maybe bring somebody with you. It's going to be a, a good time. So we'll be blessed by that. But wanted to get that out there. We'll keep talking about it and pumping it up so you don't forget it. Um, but all right, here we go. First Corinthians four. You ready to rock? Let's do it. Let's get to it. All right. Um, I, I prayed this in my prayer, and I was just thinking about this during the song that we were singing. That God is sovereign over us, um, and it, it's always interesting in life when, when you first meet someone. You're getting a name. Uh, you're, you're getting some detail about their family. How many kids they have? If if you if you get to know me, I'm going to talk about my kids. I'm going to talk about what grade they're in. I'm going to talk about all the great things they do in sports. I mean, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I just I love my kids. I'm proud of them. So I will do that. I will tout them as the greatest and ever that have ever lived. And so I will do kind of things like that. I just will. Um, and so, <laughs> I'm just in part kidding. But um, but what what's one of the things we always do? We always ask. So what do you do? What do you do, right? What do you do? I mean, we always got to find out what someone does. And, and so when we think about life, and, and a lot of times we're defined, and we talked about this a few months ago when we talked about the work we do and, and why God created work and how work is, is, a, is a ministry. Work, work is, is, is worship, how we work and, and things like that. But, but a lot of times we define ourselves by, by work. We define ourselves by you know, degrees and colleges we've gone to, sometimes almost to a point of occult, Texas A&M, but, um, oh, <laughs> just kidding. So, uh, but, but we, do, we do things like that, and, and there's things that we identify with and, and things that we let identify us. Um, but when you look at Scripture, God has called us to be something specific, 
He's called us to something. Uh, We are identified as a certain group of people and a certain group of people that have a certain attitude, uh, a certain attitude that, that is lined out here in Scripture today, and it marks their life. And so Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, verse 24 and 25, these very important words. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough, this is one of my favorite verses, it is enough for the disciple or the learner that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. You see, for Christians, Jesus is our teacher. He's our master. And so when we look at Jesus' life, there's many words that we could use to describe him. But one thing that he models to us as our teacher and master is that he is a servant. That's what he was. Jesus was the model servant. And his followers are to imitate that. The servant attitude that he had, the servant life that he had, as Jesus lived for the glory and honor of God and for the sake of the gospel, we are to be servants just as he was. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians that we're continuing to look at week after week, he understood that very well. But the church that he is writing to in Corinth this time did not get it. They, they were missing the boat. They were missing the mark on what it meant to truly be a Christian, to truly be a servant. And so we're going to see that today. He's going to call them out with some sarcasm. I love Scripture because Paul is going to take some punches, man. He's going to take some, some, some punches here, and he, he does so, and it's very convicting to the reader. Um, but Paul's goal is to call us to what God has called us to be. And ultimately, that we're to be servants of Christ. That's what Christians are. And so Paul calls us to that. So three things today we're going to find is we are to be servants for the glory of God. The second thing, we're going to get a picture of what the wrong attitude and the wrong outlook in life looks like. And then lastly, if I can remember the last point, I think I, think I can, uh, but I have it written down just in case I don't. Okay, yeah, that we're to be fools. <laughs> we're to be fools. Now, not fools, all right? in the way that the world sees foolishness and stuff like that, but we're to be fools for the sake of the gospel. And so what does that mean? Paul's going to tell us a little bit uh, what that means. And so let's dive into it if we can. Look at verse 1. We're going to walk verse by verse. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there is a Bible under the seat in, uh, that you're sitting in uh, or in front of you. Probably, maybe not. Yeah, okay. It's somewhere there. And so find it, uh, 1 Corinthians, okay, it's after Romans, and it's before 2 Corinthians, and so you'll find it there. 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at verse 1. So here's what it says. It says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And so Paul is including himself in this, but he says the word, let us uh, let man regard us in this manner. So he's talking about himself. He's talking about this guy, Apollos who came after Paul in Corinth and taught in Corinth. And, and so he's, he's speaking about him, Apollos, the apostles. And he says, when you think about us, when you, when you regard who we are, regard us as this, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And so, so here's what Paul's doing. 
He's saying, as you look at life, and as you look at your life, I I want you to view it in this way. Now, what he's thinking of here is something we learned last week. So if you go back to verse 22 and 23, remember what Scott preached on last week? He said this, he says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you as believers. All things belong to you. And then he says this, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So what Paul's doing here in the next chapter is he's not like, turning the page and going in a complete different direction. No, he's saying in light of that truth, that as believers, all things belong to us, and all things belong to Christ, and and Christ belongs to God. In light of that truth, this is who you are to be. This is how you are to live. With all that God has given you, You are to be servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's saying here, as teachers, we're to be that. As learners, we're to be that. So so Christian teachers, those who are pastors in the ministry, whether you're serving in the children's ministry, whether you're serving in the student ministry, whether you're a learner listening to someone, what Paul's saying, it's the whole of Christianity. We are called to be servants each and one of us who call ourselves a follower of Christ. But here's the issue with the church at Corinth. If you remember, there was this underlining issue of jealousy in the church. There was this one-upmanship. They were always one-upping each other. Uh, they, they had this party uh, mentality where they were like, well, I'm hanging out with Apollos because I like what he says about this, or he's a little more slick in his presentation when he speaks, or I'm hanging out with this guy, or, you know, that, that was kind of their mentality. They struggled with judging each other. It was a popularity show, and it was tearing up the church in the first century. And so God reminds them here with the words of Paul that you are called to be this way, to servants and stewardship. And so what does this mean? Servants of Christ. That word servant is the word under rower, okay? Under rower. And, and so here's what it looks like. I mean, you think about, these were the ships back in Paul's day. And so you see the slaves under the ship. And so they had their oar and they would all row. And here's a scene from Ben-Hur. Uh, and this is what it looks like them doing. And so you have the leaders in the middle directing them and when, when they are to uh, to row, and so they would, would do this, and the whole goal is under the authority of a man and a leader, they would follow this leader, and they would row so they could go in a straight direction, and so they would do this together, and so this word servant right here that Paul uses is literally that we are under rowers of Jesus Christ, and that as slaves or, or under rowers or servants of Jesus we're to follow our master. We're to, to have our life lived under his authority, and we obey him as he tells us what to do so that we can move forward for the glory of God. Now, this is down to every individual who's a believer, but it's as a body as well, so that we would row together for the glory of God. So we are under rowers. That's what Paul's called us to be. What a great image of what you and I are called to live. And then the second thing he says here is we're stewards of the mysteries of God. That word steward means um, that we're entrusted with something. 
Um, a steward was a servant whom his master entrusted with the administration of his business or his property. And so his job was to devote his time, his talents, his energy to executing his master's interest, not his own interest. And so this is the humble position that we as believers are to take as we have been given, we've been entrusted with the message of the gospel. That's what the mysteries of God is. It's the gospel. It's the biblical truths that we find in the word of God. We've been entrusted with that. And so God has given that over to us, and we're to steward the mysteries of God, which is the gospel. So we, we're to be stewards. We're to be servants. And so Paul says, then, what kind of servants are we to be? What kind of stewards are we to be? So look at verse 2. He says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So we're to be servants and stewards who are faithful. We're to be trustworthy. Those who are entrusted to manage his master's business affairs, so that the desire of his master materializes. And that's what you and I are called to do. For Paul, this specifically meant being faithful to the gospel. Now, when we talk about the gospel, what do we mean this morning? Right? What do we mean? Paul tells us a few chapters ahead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel. Okay? And here's what he says. This is the heart of the gospel. Really, to be honest with you, from, from Genesis to Revelation, that's the gospel. It's, it's the story of God's love for mankind and his great rescue of us through his son Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, we read about that. Okay? But the, the heart of the gospel, the, the, the message that we're to share embedded in this is, is what Paul's going to mention here that, that is hallmark, is, is epic, is, is um, the centrality of everything we believe and hold to. This is what our hope rests in as we read the scripture. Look what it says in verse 15, uh, chapter 1. It's up on this, or excuse me, chapter 15, verse 1, up on the screen. It says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. The word gospel is the good news, all right? It says, which I preach to you, Paul's preached it. He says, also, you received it. So remember, this church in Corinth, they've received the gospel. Right? They know it well. They believed in it, in which also you stand. So they're standing in it. By which also you are saved. The gospel saves us. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you believed um, your, your belief was empty. It wasn't really in this, but it was something else. You were, you were doing this for other, another reason, another motive, or uh, you didn't really believe. Uh, it was just maybe intellectual knowledge instead of a true life-changing experience where God saved you. And so he says, this is what the gospel is. And so look at verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And so that's the crucial elements that, that we must remember of the gospel, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And then he appeared to many, Paul is going to talk about, and Paul even says how Christ appeared to him, and his life was changed forever. So the heart of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. 
He became a substitute for us so that we who are all sinners, the Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We, we don't meet God's standards. None of us do. But yet Jesus, who is God, perfect, his substitute, came and gave his life for us, died on a cross for us. He took the penalty that we all deserve. And then if we believe in him that he died and that he rose again on the third day conquering death, uh, that, that we would be saved. That's the heart of the gospel that Paul kept driving in, making sure that nobody was diverting in a different direction. And so Paul says here, we must be trustworthy with the gospel. We must be faithful to teach and proclaim the gospel. That's what servants do. That's what, that's what stewards of the mysteries of God do. They're faithful with the gospel. And then look what he says next in verse 3 through 4. But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. And Paul says, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am uh, not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. What's Paul saying here? I think real simply what he's saying is Paul did not let what others thought of him direct what he does. See, for Paul, it wasn't a popularity show. You see, ultimately, Paul did not care what others thought about him. He didn't. He only cared what Jesus thought about him. That's what drove him. That's what his life was about. He cared what God thought about him. He cares what God thinks of him. He didn't care if he was unpopular. He didn't care if he was popular. It didn't matter to him what others thought about how he lived out his life as a faithful servant and as a steward of the gospel. So here's what Paul did. He concentrated on simply being that, on being a servant, on being a steward. And he cared about what God thought of him cared about the glory of God alone. And so therefore, it impacted how he lived. And so look at verse 5. Look what he says to them. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment. Don't make judgment on anything. And I'll, I'll talk about what he means here in a second. Before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. You see, Paul says here, hey, my life is examined by the Lord. It's examined by the Lord. Therefore, be careful how you judge things. Don't pass judgment. Now, there are going to be times in life we judge things. I mean, that, that's, that's, we're called to do that. But simply here, what he's saying is what the Corinthians were doing, they were judging each other. They're making judgments on people calling people out, judging them based on this and judging them based on that. And Paul says, don't do that before the time of judgment comes. He, he's talking about a time where God is going to come, when Jesus will come back, an appointed time, and there will be a great time of judgment. For those who know Christ, there will be the judgment seat where they will be rewarded. In fact, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 talks about that. Uh, how we live our life, how we live out the gospel, we be rewarded based on that at that time. Those who don't know Christ, their judgment will fall on them for eternity. 
as they're separated from Christ forever in a place called hell. And, and so there, there will be a day of judgment. In fact, um, uh, Paul says, or not Paul, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, he says, yes, I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly, suddenly, right? There will be a day where Jesus comes where no one will expect that, but he will return. That day is coming. Now, here's what what Paul does in this text right here in verse 5. He calls to light the judgment of God, and he calls to light what we call the omniscience of God. And I'll tell you what that is in just a second. But he talks about the judgment of God, because what he's addressing here is the Corinthians were, were very judgmental. And so he says, hey, time out here. Let's talk about the justice of God, because God is the one who is the judge. He is the one who is the judge, and and one day he will judge all of mankind. Secondly, he calls on the omniscience of God. Uh, Omniscience is omni, and then that, that last part. Omni is all, and the next part of that word is knowledge. And so God has all Knowledge, And so when it says, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, he's talking about that, that God has knowledge of all things. He, he knows what we do in the dark. He knows what we do in secret. He knows our conscience and unconscious motives. He knows everything. He has perfect knowledge, actual or possible knowledge, past, present, future, hidden, revealed, eternity, immediately, simultaneously, exhaustively. He knows it all. You can't hide anything from him. And so Paul says, in light of that, right, do not pass judgment. That's God's territory. And so what does Paul have in view here? I think Paul's outlook is significant. We're going to see the difference between his and the Corinthians. Paul's every day, he he expected Jesus to return. He lived in light of that. And it radically impacted his life. He lived waiting for Jesus to come. It fueled his life as he lived to honor God. It fueled his ministry as he was a, shared the gospels, he planted churches. He, he lived to hear Jesus say to him one day, well done, good and faithful servant. He longed for that. He waited for that. So Paul shows us here that servants of Christ serve for the, uh, the future approval of Jesus, not for the present praise of people. Can I say that again? Paul shows us here that that servants serve for the future approval of Jesus, not for the present praise of people. And that is so different from the world we live in. This is how all followers are to live and serve. And so Paul calls us to be servants for the glory of God And then he says this in verse 6. He's going to call out the Corinthians and tell us all to be careful, to watch our attitude, our outlook, because they had the wrong attitude and outlook. Look at verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. A little sarcasm going on here. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, 
so that none of you will become arrogant or puffed up in behalf of one against the other. You see, Paul and Apollos had the attitude of servants of Christ. They modeled that. They were not prideful. They were not arrogant. But why was that the case? Because they had applied to themselves the word of God, the scriptures. That's why. They applied to their lives the word of God, but the Corinthians did not. Where do we read that at? Look at, look at verse 6 again. He says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. What things? Everything he said in this book so far, this letter. I've applied these things. Everything he just said in verses 1 through 5 about being a servant. Paul is saying, I've applied these things to my life. And I love what he says here, for your sakes. For what reason? So that in us, so that you Corinthians would know by looking at Paul's life and Apollos' life and the rest of the apostles, or, or the rest of the apostles, that you may learn not to exceed what is written. Because guess what Paul is saying here? Because you are. Because <laughs> here what the Corinthians are doing is, is they're not staying in the lane of God's word. They're going outside of God's word, what the world says, and listening to human wisdom instead of staying in the word of God. So Paul's saying, hey, his purpose and Apollos' purpose is that we would get you guys to stick to the Bible. Stick to what it teaches and apply it to your life and live according to it. And then he says another purpose for this. Look what he says after that. Not only that you would learn not to exceed what is written, but that you, that no, uh, let me actually read it. So that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. So Paul's saying here that you would read and obey the word of God. Don't just listen to outside human wisdom. Don't, don't listen to what the world is saying or what the flesh is saying or what you think is right, right? But listen to the word of God. Apply it to your life. Why? So that you will not become arrogant or prideful, puffed up against one another. And that's exactly what the Corinthians struggled with. And it's kind of interesting here, because what has Paul been talking about? He's been talking about godly wisdom. What does godly wisdom do? Godly wisdom devastates pride. It kills it. The Word of God kills self-achievement, self-advancement, self-esteem. It, it, it takes all these things that is centered around the self, selfishness, one-upmanship, you, you name it. And the Word of God devastates that. And what does it do instead? It creates humility. And so it's interesting that Paul's calling them out and saying, listen, you're, you're going outside of the word of God. You're listening to the, to, to the world, and therefore what's happening is you're becoming arrogant. You're becoming puffed up. And so Paul says, instead, read the word of God, apply the word of God, obey the word of God. And look what's going to happen if you do. Philippians 2, here's what Paul says. Philippians 2, 3, 5, this is, this is what an attitude of humility or servanthood looks like. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude 
in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so what's Paul, Paul's point here? Godly wisdom creates an attitude of humility when applied. Godly wisdom creates an attitude of humility when applied. And so Paul addresses the wrong attitude of arrogance and pride with some questions. And I love this questioning. Look at verse 7. He says this. He says, For who regards you superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Some interesting questions. Paul, what do you mean? Um, I think the first thing he's addressing here is an attitude of superiority. Paul reminds them that they are not superior to anyone else. They're not better than anyone else. This attitude is what has brought forth their judgment of others. You see, when we think we're superior, what we do is we judge others. That's what happens. So if we're judging others, that means we have an attitude of superiority. So Paul calls them out. We are superior to no one. No one. And as servants of Christ, there is one who is supreme, and that's Jesus. That's it. Remember, we're under rowers. The second thing he calls out here, which, which I love, this is great, this is great. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Try to answer that for yourself. What do you have? Think of everything you have that you did not receive. This hits so hard against the American dream, right? It hits so hard against Amer- just the American way of thinking. What do we have that we have not received? Honestly, guys, the answer is nothing. If you want to find something, okay, um, I can give you one answer. I can give you one answer. Uh, sin. Sin. Uh, someone said that at the 9 o'clock. I thought, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, okay, Romans 5, Adam kind of passed that on to us, okay. But, but yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, when we show up to Christ, when we show up before Christ, and, you know, all we've got is, here's my sin. And so I love this verse because this, this verse is all about grace. All about grace. There is nothing we have that we have not received from God. He gives us everything. So what's his attitude he's addressing here? He addressed its superiority in the first question. Second question here, what's he addressing? The, the attitude of ungratefulness. And the attitude of recognize, not recognizing God's grace. And so God has given us everything. But their attitude, their pride portrayed a different attitude. So we should be thankful, not arrogant, not boastful. Um, and then look at verse 8. So this is that wrong attitude they had. Verse 8, he continues, and, and this, again, he, he's going to keep hitting. So he's taking some, you know, gut punches here. Look what he says. He says in verse 8, you are already filled. He's talking to the Corinthians. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become king so that we also might reign with you. This is lovely. I love Paul. Paul's really hitting him here. 
One of the reasons the Corinthians had the wrong attitude was because they had the wrong outlook. Unlike Paul, they overestimated themselves as already being filled as those who had become rich and become kings now. You see, many in the Corinthian church lived as though they had arrived, making themselves a cushy life here on earth that avoided suffering, that avoided pain for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't sound right. Because Paul would come and say, we suffer and we endure pain for the sake of the gospel, not avoid it. They believed in what we would call today, what many call today, the prosperity gospel, which is not a gospel at all. They believed they were filled now. They believed they had become rich now. They believed they had become kings now. So Paul believed, though, that we will be filled, that we would become rich, that we would be kings when Jesus returns in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Paul uses sarcasm here and says, I wish you had become kings, really. I wish that was true so we could reign with you now. But this is not how God has designed it or planned it for servants and for stewards. You see, because Christianity is not a cruise ship, it's a battlefield. We don't get saved to put our feet up. This was interesting. Uh, about a week or so ago, I was with my son and uh, his girlfriend and my daughter, and we were in uh, a suit store, right? And, and so an interesting character was waiting on us. He was most interesting, and, uh, but very helpful, great guy. Um, and so we were talking, we were talking about suits and everything, and, and so he starts talking to me as we're checking out. He says, he says hey, he says, um, uh, you, you want to look for a suit? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me, dude. If you only knew, you only knew. I mean, part of my story is doing everything I can not to wear a suit, right? And not to have a tie, and I think I have one in the closet. It's probably too small now. It comes out, you know, every once in a while. And uh, but, you know, he's talking to me about this. He said, you know, I could really, you know, hook you up in a nice suit. I'm just, you know, laughing inside, and it's just going really good. And he says, you know, I, I, I dress so and so at this big church just a few miles away. And I was like, oh. So um, continue to laugh inside, and so. He's telling me about this, and he says, you know, he, he, he drives a, a Bentley truck and everything. And I was, like, laughing inside and thinking to myself. And I said, well, I, so I immediately said to him, I said, hey, man, I, if I can just be honest, I said, that is not how I roll. That is just not how I roll. And, and I said, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Because I, I think what we see a lot of times in, in churches that, that preach a prosperity gospel, okay? that, that they're preaching this idea that if you're suffering and in pain, a lot of times what they're saying is something is wrong with what you're doing in life. Something is wrong with you. Now, there may be times in life when we're, we have habits in our life or sinful behaviors in our life that, yeah, do cause us suffering and pain. You bet. But that doesn't mean all the time. And it doesn't mean you, you got to come and, and take your checkbook out and start paying more money to the church 
to, to, to have all these blessings come to you and, and to have all this prosperity that we just sung about, but the prosperity that they're talking about is about the same thing that the Corinthians are talking about, about being filled and being rich and being kings now. But the prosperity that Jesus is talking about under his authority and sovereignty is about the prosperity of the kingdom and how you can be a part of that and live for the glory of God and the prospering of his name to the nations. And that that's going to take suffering and pain. That doesn't mean you're going to be driving a Bentley truck. That's not what that means. And if you teach that stuff... Paul would say, dude, whose team are you on? Whose team are you on? And, 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 and there's, there's just too much out there today that is throwing out a different kind of gospel. And Paul would say, that's no gospel at all. No gospel at all. And so the Corinthians had this attitude. They got sucked into it. It was a worldly wisdom that promoted something completely different than the word of God. And so Paul is going to show them here a picture in the last remaining minutes here of how they're living and how it's drastically different as they live out this life of servanthood. So look what he says in verse 9. He says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. The Corinthians, here's what they did. They flaunted their privileges. They flaunted their achievements. While Paul and the apostles were living as true servants of Christ, they were being humiliated for their faith. They were suffering for their faith. And he said they were made a spectacle. And so what Paul is saying here is we're, we're like those criminals with the wild beasts in the Roman theaters who people came to watch in this public display who are being humiliated by these animals. And Paul says that's what we're like in the world as people laugh at us and people persecute us and kill us as we live for the gospel and tell people about Jesus Christ. And Paul says not only that in verse 10, here's what they think of us. We are fools for Christ's sake. Here comes the sarcasm. But you are prudent. You are wise in Jesus. We are weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're without honor. Those who were not Christians thought that Paul and the apostles were stupid, foolish. To be willing to lay their life down for the sake of the gospel, to lay their life down for a Messiah who came and hung on a cross with criminals beside him, who came and spoke a message to a world that he was the answer to the world's sin, that he could overcome death. They came and proclaimed that message, and the world laughed at them made them a spectacle, viewed them as fools, viewed them as weak men without any honor. So here's Paul's issue. He says to the Corinthians, that's what the world thinks of us, and what's interesting is so do you. Corinthians. 
See, because the Corinthians were viewed as wise, human wisdom. They were viewed as strong. They were viewed as highly esteemed, that they were a big deal. And so Paul says something's wrong when the world looks at us and sees us as fools, but they look at you and think you're the stuff. Paul says, what's up? That's what he's calling here. And they look at how he closes in verse 11 through 13. To this present hour, we are both hungry, we're thirsty, and poorly clothed, we're roughly treated, we're homeless, we work or toil working with our own hands, and when we're reveled, we bless, when we're persecuted, we endure, when we are slandered, we try to conciliate or console, we have become as the scum of the world, we become the dregs of all things, even until now. And so what is Paul doing here as he wraps this part up? Paul describes himself and the apostles' condition, emphasizing the depths to which they were willing to go so that the gospel would be proclaimed. So he mentions these physical conditions. They're they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're they're poorly clothed, they're roughly treated, they're they're, they're without a home. That's, That's how they lived. Why were they willing to do that? For the sake of the gospel. So this is in great contrast to the lush, laid-back, kickback life that the Corinthians had, and to the message that they were teaching about already being filled, about being rich in this world and being kings. And Paul would say, yet here we are and we're without for the sake of the gospel. And I don't think Paul is saying here that, and I don't want you to get this as you leave today, that to be a servant of Christ, you, you've got to be you know, have nothing in your bank account. You, you can't have a home. You, you, can't, you can't eat, you know, three days a meal. I don't, or, or three meals a day. I, three days a meal. Three meals a day. I don't think he's saying that. Okay, I, I, that's not his point. I think the point is physically, what are you willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Or physically, what stands in your way or what keeps you from living for the gospel. And then second, he says, here, we toil working with our own hands. The, the Greeks, back in Paul's day, viewed people who worked with their, their hands, manual labor, that they, they have viewed them as weak. That they, they, they have viewed, viewed them as slaves. And so Paul was a tent maker, and so were some of the other people that he hung out with, some of his, Paul's disciples, and so they were tent makers, and so they, they would laugh at what they did for a living as far as tent making. And then lastly, I think this one's huge. Paul mentioned how servants and how they modeled this, how they respond to others, how they respond to others in the world. And I love this part because this this is hard. This is real. This is real, and, and this, is, this is what Jesus addressed in the Beatitudes as well. But he says, when you are verbally abused, that's what reviled means. What do they do? They bless others. They bless others. When you are persecuted, what do you do? Paul says, I don't throw in the towel and give up and run with my tail between my legs because 
They didn't accept Jesus, and they beat me for it. No. Paul says, I don't give up. I persevere. I continue to boldly share the gospel. I don't change my message up and, and make it palatable and, and make it this, this soft, cute little thing because I'm scared, Paul says. No, I boldly share the truth, the beautiful, loving truth of the gospel. And the Corinthians weren't doing that. And then lastly, when people lie about them, Paul answers back and said, we responded back to them kindly in a friendly manner. I love what Paul says here. Paul says servants are different. They live different in the world. They look different. They look like Jesus. Because what, what Paul just defined here literally was how Jesus lived. It's foolish to the world. We look like the scum of the earth, Paul says, when we live like this. But Paul's whole goal as a servant was to imitate the example and the teaching of his Savior who died for him. And so let us imitate Paul today. Let us be faithful and humble servants of Jesus. Let us be stewards of the gospel, being willing to proclaim it to others and to tell friends about it, tell families about it. Tell others about the gospel, no matter what the cost may be. Now, this side of the pond, we're probably not going to face the persecution that Paul, the apostles, and many be believers do in other parts of the world today. What we might face is maybe somebody laughing at us, might lose a friendship over it. But Paul's big question here at the end is really, what price are you willing to pay for the sake of the gospel? Or another way to say it is, it, it is what is keeping you, what is holding you back from being a servant and a steward of the mysteries of God? Paul says, I give up everything. I'm willing to give up anything. I'm willing to give up physical, willing to work with my hands. I'm willing even to be a fool with others. When they mistreat me, I'm willing to show them love back. Paul was covered in humility. My prayer today is that we would look at this text and we say, God, help me to be a servant. Help me to be a faithful steward of the gospel, no matter the cost. May nothing hold me back for your glory. Let's pray.